Hello, and welcome to episode number 29 of the Average Man podcast, Iron Man. This week's uh, episode is brought to you by Two Way Hire Services, your family owned and operated two way radio supplier. They ship throughout WA free or charge. Uh, so, whether you need a portable handheld radio, CB radio for your vehicle, or antenna, Two Way Hire Services will keep you connected. Find them on Facebook or, or at twhs.com.au, also on Instagram. Uh, this this uh, podcast is also brought to you by PCC Audiovisual Specialists, PCC Productions, the audiovisual specialists up here in, in uh, Headland. As always, I'd like to shout out to uh, Captured by Carlos, local photographer and Average Man Podcast alumni. He's been on here twice now. Uh, go on to Instagram, Facebook, YouTube to check him out at Captured with a K by Carlos. Uh, also, I'd like to shout out to Shafted Spearfishing. The lads up here are one of the local spearfishing crews, and they've got great videos and photos on their Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube page also. Uh, this week is an interview with a local athlete, sponsored athlete and Ironman, hence the name of the, uh, of the episode and the opening song, and Nathan Grock. So, um, without further ado, I don't know why I said that, that's not a saying I would ever say, um, I will just jump straight into this podcast, I hope you guys enjoy it, Nathan and I had a really good chat, and sneakily, we, he didn't tell me, we started talking about music at the end, he didn't tell me about his, uh, his love for vinyl, um, when we were on the podcast, and we had a big chat for about five or ten minutes afterwards about music and vinyl and things like that that should have been recorded and put on the podcast, but um, he's probably going to catch up with me after his European um, competition saga he's got going on, which you're going to hear all about in this podcast, so he'll come back on and tell us how everything went over there, and I'll fish into his um, love for music and vinyl and things like that a little bit more then, we'll get down into the, into the nitty gritty of it, um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this. And, um, yeah, I won't talk too much longer. We'll just jump straight into it. Episode number 29, Iron Man. Here we go. Uh, welcome to episode number 29 of the Average Man podcast. Uh, this week is another interview with a, uh, a guest, Nathan Grotch. Grok, yeah. Grok. Yeah. I wouldn't show if it was Grok or Grosh. Or, yeah. <laughs> no one normally gets it right. It's, it's Crutch, Crotch, Grotch. Where's that from? Uh, it's Dutch. Dutch. Originally. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, Grosh, Grosh, Nathan Grosh. Grok, 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 like a rock again. Yeah. Right, Grok, right, got it. Right, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. So, I think I saw you at the shops last week. Yes. And you, said, and you gave me the nod. And yeah, I, gave you away. I wasn't quite sure. I only just, I briefly flicked through your profile page when Carlos hooked me up with you. And then afterwards, I thought, oh, I think that might have been Nathan. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'd give you the recognition when you, when you gave me the nod. So. Yeah, we hadn't actually met in person. No, I, I gave you the waivers of walking through, and I was kind of in a rush. So, I just. Put my hand up in the air and, and kept cruising. Yeah, I, th- and I think I went. That might have been that oh, Nathan bloke, but yeah, missed the opportunity. To say good day. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, that was that was you. I thought so. <laughs> so, um, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Um, start with your age. How old are you? Uh, thirty-two. Thirty-two. Yeah. Righto. And I think you already answered one of my questions. I was going to ask if you're married uh, or girlfriend or kids, but you've obviously got a, a girlfriend. I partner have a girlfriend. Here. Yeah, Shauna. Yeah. No kids. <laughs> no kids. No kids yet. Thankfully. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm sure it'll happen eventually, mate. And where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up in Albury. Albury? Yeah. Where's yeah. that? Um, it's on the border of uh, Victoria and New South Wales. Vic and New South Wales, yeah, okay. So on the, nice on the right side of the border, yeah. yeah. Quite cold down there? Or, 
Uh, it gets four seasons actually. It was I didn't appreciate it when I was growing up, but you you have a, a like a good summer, you have a really good winter, and then you get um, you know spring and spring and autumn on yeah. either, either side of it. Yeah, but it yeah. probably gets pretty cold in your winters down there, does it? Yeah, we used to be able to get to from home to Falls Creek and be on the snow within about an hour oh, and wow. forty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, right. Really good, and then you. Just straight down the highway to Melbourne, three hours and five and a half hours to Sydney. It's a, it's a pretty good little spot. Yeah. yeah, you can go to a bunch of different places, not, especially once you get used to Pilbara time, eh, where we yeah. drive for four hours to get from one town to the next. Well, you <laughs> two and a half between. hours to go to go to Caratha for some KFC. Yeah, well, if that's what you're into, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that made national news on Triple J one time, people bringing KFC back and people getting sick off it. Yeah. You know, bringing it back in the car, going cold and then reheating it and eating it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking buckets in your car is probably not the best option but yeah. um, Wim, Wim Creek an hour and a little bit away is a, a good it's good they opened that back up hey absolutely a little stopping point and um, we, we stop in there with the kids when we go past let them out and have a cruise around with all the birds have yeah. a bit of a chat yeah. The, yeah, the cockatoos they've got there. They learn so, a few swear words off the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's always good fun. I always have to ask how cold things are when we when the people say they're from sort of south end of the, the country because yeah. we used to like the idea of going to Margaret River when we left Headland the first time round. Yeah. I'm just a pussy when it comes to the cold, man. <laughs> like I'm, I'm built for the heat. I think I get down there and as soon as it's you know the sun's not out or that that breeze comes through, I just start freezing. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not good for me. I, I think I'm the same. I lived over in um, in the US and Canada for. Uh, it was four winters, and I, I really hate winter. And the only reason I was over there is because I can go snowboarding mm. um, or skiing. I find that unless you can do something functional in the winter, there's no point in you being cold at all. Yeah, like, yeah. If you just hold up in inside and then go to and from work, and, yeah. and yeah, right, that makes yeah. sense. I'd rather be in a, in a summer location, absolutely, somewhere where there's surf and yeah, yeah like yeah. no shoes, no shirt, no worries. So, um, how long have you been over in Headland? Uh, 2012, um, right at the end, I moved here permanently, and then for about 12 months, um, I spent flying in and out of Perth, but I was five back to Hebland, so I haven't yeah. actually left. Uh, yeah, okay. So permanently for since 2012. Yeah, wow. So you're, you're in for the long haul at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, yeah I think that's a year local. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about right. <laughs> and, and what do you do for work? Are you with the same mob that you started with when you came in two thousand twelve, or are you doing something different? Yeah, I was labouring for a construction company that was um, building some housing units in South when I first moved here, and then who was that? Um, Hutchinsons Builders. They made some apartment know. complexes Don't for um, BHP, and then I moved into a, a role with BHP um, at the Orca Repair Shop, and now I'm with uh, Rail Track Maintenance. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't know Imran Adjis, do you? No, oh, he's not in rail track. He's rail cart maintenance. Sorry, probably wouldn't. Nah, not off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. he's in, he's in um, rail cart maintenance. So, um, you've got a pretty flexible roster where you are, then, do you? Yeah, they've been really good with the. Um, when I took my pro license, I spoke to my superintendent at the time and just outlined what I wanted to do. Um, for training and work, and, and we came up with a, um, something that worked for both of us. So I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and do between 10 and 12 hour days, depending on um, what we need to do. And then Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are, are, are training days dedicated yeah, to wow. the triathlon side of things. So it, that's cool. Yeah, it works really well. It's good to have that flexibility, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. They've been, like I said, they've been brilliant. Um, it's also made me be a better employee from a time management perspective because I have to jam essentially five days worth of work into mm. three days and, and 
get everything done and, and be able to leave on that Thursday afternoon. It's always better to be busy at work, I reckon, hey, rather than standing around scratching yep. yourself, man. Like yep. if you've got, uh, if whether you're working for yourself or if you're on, you've got a specific workload you know you, know you need to get through. It helps you just, um, like you say, manage things better and then hit hit your own little goals and pump through it. You know, work doesn't even seem like a, a drag when you when you when you've got those goals and that time to yeah. sort of frame to hit it in. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that's a good way to do it. Yep. You still so you'd be punching out what thirty six hours a, in, in a week then. Yeah, between thirty and. Yeah, 30 and 36, and yeah. every now and again if um, work requires it, I, I will work a, a Wednesday or a Friday, and my phone's always on um, for the boys if they need something, um, I'm contactable via phone, and, and nine times out of well, nine times out of ten, I'll have my laptop with me at home, and I'll, I'll just log on on that, you know, on the Wednesday or the Friday, and if there's something that I need to address, I'll stay on top of it. Yeah, yeah, righto. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of things there, a few winter sports. So I was going to ask you what you what you grew up playing. Uh, a little bit of everything. I tried to play as many sports as I could to keep me out of school. Um, anything from swimming, athletics, um, cross country. The, the big passion um, initially was soccer. So I started playing soccer when I was four or five. Yeah. Um, and I started swimming at the same time. And I've I've did I swam. Um, I've swam my entire life. I played soccer until I was about 16 or 17. Um, I played water polo, which turned into the, the passion eventually and yeah. doubled in rugby league for a, a yeah. few years. Quite okay. Enjoyed, so rugby. all the sports you can get your hands on, basically, yeah. you're, yeah. you're involved in. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then you did, what, some snowboarding or skiing or something like that on, in, the, on the snow when you, when you could get that, did you, or not so much until you went over overseas? Or? Yeah, we did. Um, used to ski um, when I was in Albury and then started snowboarding when I moved over, yeah. over to um, Canada. Yeah. Good fun, snowboarding. Love it. Yeah. Always wanted to do that. Yeah. Hey, I really haven't spent any time in the snow uh, whatsoever, but I'd love to do snow, try, try out snowboarding, you know. So yeah. Surfing, skating, I love that sort of thing. So. Yeah, oh, you, you get into it quite so. easily. Yeah. yeah. And, and when did you start competing um, in Ironman competitions, and, and what do you call the sport? I don't know how to. What, what do you uh, triathlon. So it is triathlon. I yeah, thought that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I started competing in it when I moved to Headland. It was at the end of 2012. Um, Gratwick Aquatic Centre was the only pool that was open. South was closed, and that was where they had the water polo competition. Yeah. And um, I, when I came back. It, 2012 was when I came back from overseas, so I just wanted to get back into water polo. As the pool wasn't closed, triathlon um, was about the only thing that was happening at the time over yeah. summer, and um, I, yeah, I, I got into it from from there um, and started competing locally. There was a, you know, the local tri club was doing sprint distances and Olympic distances. Um, I got into Ironman after uh, I. Had a was playing touch football and I uh, dove, severely dislocated it, uh, dislocated my shoulder, which required a reconstruction. And while I was going through the rehab for that, uh, a, a mate who kind of helped me get into the triathlon side of things with the bike, he challenged me to race an Ironman. So while I was rehabbing my broken shoulder, I kind of signed up for um, Ironman Bustardon as a way of um, having a bit of focus and not getting. Uh, so what are the three sports then? Uh, swimming, cycling, and running. So, what did you do with the swimming when you were rehabbing that shoulder? You just concentrated on the other two events, or I uh, wasn't running. Just I just, run, just yeah, I sat on a um, what they call an indoor trainer. Um, I had my bike attached to it. You'd, I just sat inside, 
one hand on the handlebars and just and rode rode my bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good to be doing something while you're while you're rehabbing, eh? Yeah. Keep your keep your fitness up. Keep like get all that energy out. Yeah. Rather than just sitting on the couch, so that's yeah. a good way to do it. Absolutely. So so essentially. Do you guys call yourselves triathletes? Or, yeah. yeah. And then is the Ironman a specific competition? That how does that all how does it all work? Obviously everyone knows Ironman, Ironman, they know what that is, but what exactly is it? Like, yeah, you're a triathlete. So there's um there's t- in Australia especially there's two different distinctions. There's the surf Ironman, um, which is paddling and different bits and pieces yeah and the surf like, skis and all that sort of stuff we used to be on the TV all the time we were growing up Trent Hetty and all that, that yeah, Trevor, yeah, yeah. yeah Trevor Hetty Trevor Hetty yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's Ironman Triathlon so Ironman's actually a brand it's like the Nike of shoes I suppose yeah okay but it's a it's a distance so it's a 3.8 kilometre swim 180 kilometre cycle and a, and a 42k run um, it's the 42k run yeah marathon distance Go through those things. Say all those distances again for me. 3.8 kilometre swim, right. 180 kilometre bike, right. and a 42.2k run. Jeez, okay. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> so that's that's a brand. So you, you would start competing triathlete, um, sort of smaller competitions and things like that, and then what, you work your way up, you have to um, qualify for to be in the Ironman or you get nominated or how does that sort of work? No, you just sign up. Anyone yep. can anyone can race Ironman. Um, you just pay an entry fee and and um, and race it. It's it's kind of the pinnacle of the sport for for triathletes. Essentially, there's a the World Championships held in Hawaii each year in Kona, and that's the uh, that's the main goal for most triathletes. Once they start racing, they I see that as the uh, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Okay. All right. And what's your favourite event? My favourite event. That's a really good question. Slash um, strongest. Are they the same, or is it you're stronger at one but you favour another? Uh, that's a really good question. I actually think that um, probably equally is um, strong across all three. Well, that's good. Yeah. It it makes it quite handy. I can run um, quite well, but I don't. I do the volume of training um, that I need at the moment to be able to really hammer it. Um, I've been focusing on the bikes. It's a little bit off um, where I need to be at an elite level, so cut some of the run volume out, throwing that into the, um, the bike space. And So you really just love the sport as a sport. You love all three events. And yeah. I, I guess doing that much of each, they probably supplement each other quite well, do they? You get sick of the bike and it's good to go for a swim when you get sick of... Your arms burning and swimming, it's good to jump out and go for a run. So yeah, yeah, a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so that, that works. So no, no, and no favourite, and you reckon you're pretty much as, as strong in all of them as, as you are yeah, in each one. But I think perhaps, so, yeah. yeah. Fair enough, that's, that's a good way to be. Yeah. So, um, and what's your comp history? Yeah. Uh, with these big ones, anyway, with the Ironman, what's your, what's your comp history? Like, if you have, how many have you done? How long have you been competing in the Ironman? I raced my first um, Ironman in 2014 at Ironman Western Australia in Bustleton. Um, total Ironmans, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, it would be probably... A few a year, you do... Uh, it'd probably be about 10, 10 or 12 total. Yeah, right. Uh, not, not that many um, at all. Uh, I've raced the Ironman World Championships twice. So in 2015, in my second ever Ironman, I qualified for the World Championships. Right. 
and then again in um, in 2016 I qualified yeah so 2000 I raced 2016 and then 2017 again I qualified for the world championships yeah right and you do other smaller events in between those, or you just really focus on the Ironman? Yeah, I've I try and race when there was some local races here. Yeah. Um, I did those, and then I've raced a handful of smaller races. Seventy point three is a half distance to an Ironman, yeah. so I'll pick a few of those races, sort of on destination, and then other other times trying to time it around leading into an Ironman race. It's a bit of a warm-up yeah. sort of thing and see where you're at the yep. time and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, righto. That's pretty cool. And um, so, Carla said to me that you, you, well, obviously you're a sponsored athlete now as well. You're working part time. You sponsored by Life and Soul. Yep, Life anyone and Soul. Else? Anyone else? Yeah, Complete Modular Homes, um, Headland Bus Lines, Titan Performance Group, and Infinite Nutrition. Yeah, right. And how how does all that how does all that work? You just um, you have to. Propose people, or if people hear that you, what you're doing and, and get hold of you and pick you up, or how does it all sort of work? Uh, it's a little bit of everything. Life and Soul was the first um, sponsor to come on board when I was racing as a um, an amateur athlete. Yeah. Back in 2016, and and um, and that was through like a fundraising thing that we did to help assist with the cost of getting to the World Championships the first time, and then. From there, it was. Um, I've reached out to yeah. some businesses um, throughout being at events and uh, different bits of like other businesses have reached out to me and yeah. we've had a discussion about how we could help each other out. So that would typically be businesses who are already sort of involved in um, sponsoring and advertising in these events, and then you get hold of them, or just local businesses that you. Um... Um, Infinite and Titan are definitely embedded within the industry whereas yeah. Complete Modular and, and Headland Bus Lines they're a local company that um, yeah. just kind of found out about what, what I was doing and wanted to help out and, and get involved and Life and Soul have, have been there and um, since I was an amateur and you know they're the local gym I'm, I'm there you know three or four days a week anyhow it's yeah. really worked out really yeah. well but. and they help with gear and things like that and, and training costs and stuff like that do they yeah or? it's a little bit of everything um, so a little bit of financial help um some product sponsorship, um, a little bit of um, help to get to races in, ter- like in terms of financial sponsorship or help with flights or help with uh, hotel costs and, yeah, right. and different things. It's, um, it, it isn't enough, obviously, as I'm still working for BHP, to be able to race as a, a full-time, full-time professional. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely helps out 100%. It's been the reason why I can actually drop out of full-time work, work, work yeah, part-time. Yeah, enough to supplement you so you can contract thing. Um, put more effort and energy into the actual training and it, and it sort of picks up the, the other spit of the slack there. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Training and recovery and as you know, being from Headland, the cost of flights out of here is, is absolutely obscene. Extortionist. Isn't it? Some would say. <laughs> yeah. I've been harping on about that for ages. I think there should, should definitely be in this country a per kilometre cap that they can charge people yeah. for, for an airfare. You shouldn't be able to charge someone $900 to fly down to Perth. Yeah. Can, you, know, yeah. you can fly, return to the US for that. Yeah. From you know, one of the major cities. It's yeah. just kind of highway robbery. They get you at all the right times as well, Christmas and Easter and short notice flights and things like that. But yeah, yeah, they don't miss. And the unfortunate part about racing um, Ironman or as a professional triathlete at the moment the prize pool for a lot of the races is, is quite insignificant um, mm. in term there might be like a five, 15 sorry $15,000 prize pool for a race but it, it, that's spread that's out over pool. maybe so everybody gets so a, a cut of that yeah split, split between men and women um, so it's, it's like seven and a half thousand US for 
the men seven and a half thousand for the the women. But um, when you break that down per hour of the the amount of training that we put in, it actually works out to be really small amount. On top of that, you know, uh, for some people if you have to pay to get to the races, if you have to pay for your hotels when you're there, it might work out that you're actually in the negative to, yeah. to go to a race, even if you win. Yeah. Uh, but that's bizarre. I mean, it's a very recognisable brand. It's been around for a long time. I wonder why they don't have the, the, the money in it. To, to have the uh, they, they've got a lot of money. I just don't. They don't get, um, put it back into the. <laughs> they don't put it back into the athletes. Oh, that's great, They're, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Uh, oh. Um, they released their profits from last year and it was just it was something that made uh, quite a few people sick as to how much they're actually making out of the athletes and um, for a business that actually when an event is held they have something like all of their um, volunteers are unpaid they might have two and a half three thousand volunteers and it's say it's a thousand dollars for each of the athletes to turn up. Yeah. All the majority of their employees are doing it for free, <laughs> and all the athletes are paying an obscene amount to get there. Like yeah. it's a great business model. It <laughs> yes, well, it sounds like it sounds like that business model's on borrowed time, really, with social media and, and uh, you know exchange of information these days. <laughs> once people sort of get wind of that I don't see how you can keep operating like that but yeah. you know, if it works for you well a lot of people are now looking outside of the, the Ironman branded races yeah. and, and going to some of the smaller ones that have a bit more of a community feel um, you know you're not paying as much entry fee and you're still racing the Ironman's essentially a distance race yeah, yeah. Well, this is a weird sort of um, uh, thing to tag onto that but I'm a massive MMA fan and, and it's yeah. sort of you get the on a different scale the same thing happening with the, the UFC so yep. obviously the Premier League everyone yep. knows the UFC everyone wants to fight in the UFC but yep. they, they notoriously pay their fighters unless they're one of the top guys you know really poorly Yeah. and now a lot of other organisations are starting to come up yep. there's another big one Bellator but there's a bunch of other smaller ones throughout um, some of them are in Asia and some of them are over in Europe and throughout America Smaller organisations, not as much prestige, people don't know who you are, but they're paying a lot more money. They have um, tournaments with million dollar prize pools and yep. things like that, and even just top tier fighters are all getting paid a lot more money. So people are you know, slowly starting to go, well, I won't be in the UFC, I won't be a world famous fighter, but I can go over here and actually make a living and pay for my family. Yeah. And you know, so that competition is starting to come up and, and bite them in the, in the arse a little bit. So. Yeah, yeah, look, a, a, lot of, um, a lot of guys. Uh, going to race in, in Asia and, and going to race in China for that exact reason. They're not racing Ironman branded races because they can make a living um, basing themselves out of Asia and, and racing a, a circuit over there and, and earn quite a comfortable living. It's, um, yeah. you know, as you say, that the, the business model might not be there for a long time because the other companies are coming in to yeah. fill in that space. Yeah, well, that's good news for the athletes, anyway. Yeah, yeah. More Absolutely. options is always good. Absolutely. And, and, and you're training speci- specifically for an upcoming event now? Not specifically. So the idea this year is to... My plan is to go and race in Europe from um, June through to the end of August and then um, a couple of races in China in September. And that's an Ironman in Europe that you're going over to race? There'll race be um, 70.3 distance, so half Ironman distance across. Yep. So Ironman and Challenge and then and potentially some of the smaller competitions that they have over there. over there, yeah. Yeah, there's Grand Prix Leagues, which is, I guess it's the equivalent to um, AFL, I suppose, in mm-hmm. France and Germany, and they have some shorter distance races that I'll, I might try and tack into as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, and so that's when you say June through to June through to August, through to August. in or in Europe, and then um, in September in China. Right. So you obviously stay in shape year round for these these sort of events. It seems like a lifestyle for you. It's not you don't get you don't have two or three events coming up each year that you get in shape specific, specifically for. You just stay in, in general shape throughout the year and ramp it up when you've got big competitions coming up. Is that sort of the gist of it? Um, I'd like to say yes, but, but no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially this uh, this year specifically has been... Uh, I ended up getting injured at the end of last year, so I took a little bit of time out um, Ended up being about two months of unstructured training, uh, just to give the body some time to rest and recover and yep. and rehab. Um, I'll, I will try and maintain a, a base level of fitness throughout the year, so that when you do bring the you know the harder sessions back on, it's not such a shock to the body. But yeah. you you do need to shut it down um, at once or twice a year for you know a couple of weeks. Yeah, and and. Let the body deeply recover, not just some superficial kind of healing yeah. um, that you'll get over a week of, um, of unstructured training. Yeah. yeah. You say not really, but I'm sure your idea of not being in top shape is probably different to other people. You're probably still pretty good in shape, just not sort of... Yeah, it's all relative, I suppose, to the amount of volume that you're doing when you are com- competing or yeah. heading into a competition. So if I'm going into a, a 70.3... Um, distance race for example I'm probably training about 20 20 to 25 hours a week at, during peak load yeah yeah. Um, for an Ironman or to be kind of about the same the, the type of training will, will change a little bit but um, even on a, an easier week I'll still probably get about 10 hours of training in 10 to 10 to 15 I'd probably consider a base amount of training it's more so to do it with the amount of um the type of intensity that you're adding into those sessions because you can do 10 hours of easy training um, just to keep yourself moving but if you do 10 hours of really hard training it, it has a different physiological impact yeah. obviously yeah, yeah. And, and so how far out from a, a big event are you starting to really ramp things up? Um, depending on the, the distance uh, we'll probably look at about really knuckling down about eight weeks out eight okay. to ten weeks out depending on the yeah the, the length of it you can um, if you've if the base work has been put in you can kind of bring it a little bit closer to the event and if you have a few events back to back you can um, so say at the moment you're looking to head overseas in June you're just training um, keeping yourself in a certain at a certain level with obviously competition in, in sight and then coming into about eight weeks of that so so about April, end of May, you'll start, uh, sort of, uh, end of April, May, you'll start yeah. really ramping it up? Is yeah, that... yeah, well, so at the moment it's a really strength-based approach to training, so I'm not doing uh, yeah. a huge amount of volume. Yeah. The, 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 the amount of training that you can do is probably um, dictated by the amount of recovery that you need after the sessions. Yep. And uh, I'm doing a lot of strength-based training now, a lot of time in the gym, a lot of really um, kind of hard work on the bike, and that requires a lot of recovery. So yeah. you drop the volume. Um, when you get a little bit closer to the event, you bump the intensity um, a lot more, but you, you, know, you might have a really short, hard session. And... Th- 
Uh, what's the best way of describing it? So I do a three-hour session now. Yeah. Um, that it'd be three hours at moderate intensity. When you get closer to the um, the race session, you might go 100 miles an hour for 30 minutes out of that um, yeah. three hours, and yeah. then you still do the three hours. But on either side of that 30 minutes, you you're just cr- cruising. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so you say you're doing a lot of more strength training at the moment. Do you try and put a bit of size and things like that on before you go into your full preparation mode because you're going to lose a bit of weight when yep. you're doing the cardio and long distance and things like that? And yep. Try and put a bit of size on so you've got that to burn yep. and get get the strength out of it. And then yep. a little bit like the football season, they, they'll really bulk up in their off-season. Yep. They all start the season quite quite big and then as the season wears on and they, they, they their cardio gets up, they, they st- start burning through that. Yeah, they lean out again. quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. As an example, um, I suppose going into Ironman Malaysia, which was at the end of November, I a couple of sessions before I jumped on the plane, I was weighing in in the 60s, in the high 60s. How, how tall are you? Uh, 178 centimetres. So six, five, nine? Yeah. Five, nine? Five, nine, five, yeah, around yeah. there. Um, and now I'm like 10 kilos heavier than what I was wow. at, and over a two-month period. But um, just... The, the strength that comes with the size is it, it's, it's bananas. And you're still doing your your other um, bike training and running and swimming things like that as well. So you're not you're not losing too much mobility and things like that when you're putting on that weight. Or you do that does become a bit of an issue. Or? Yeah, yeah, you do lose a little bit of mobility, but that once again with the recovery side of things that um, falls into the into focus as well. So yeah. you're not slowing yourself down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, so, do you train yourself? You have someone that trains you, or ha- ha- you, it sounds like you've got a trainer. I have a coach, yeah. Yeah, coach. yeah. yeah. Um, Grant Giles, he's based out of Lennox, so uh, Lennox Head um, on the north coast of New South Wales. Oh, okay, so you do it on, like, over the internet or over the phone? or Yeah, yeah. there's a, um, a program called Training Peaks that um, you can you put your training sessions in there. Essentially, it's a big spreadsheet. And he puts uh, my program in each week, and uh, I just complete it and send him an email and with your numbers and things like that. What, what, what about physically in the gym? You got somebody there with you pushing you or um, helping you gauge where you're at? Uh, no, not at the moment, actually. I work with uh, a physio from staff physio in in Perth. Yep. Um, Nigel and Damo there. Damo's the um, he's the physio for the Australian Olympic cycling team, so he's got quite a uh, a lot of knowledge. And I, I discussed the strength program with Damo and, and Nige, and um, I try and catch up with them every six months or so, and go through different movements and weights. And so, but in the gym, it's just you most of the time. Most of the time, because yeah. with that sh- schedule, there's not many people that are going to be able to to, to be off. Uh, on those times that you're training, is it? everyone's at work or? or yeah, uh, I try and um, Sunday Arvo and Thursday Arvo and, and Sunday Arvo. I'm normally at the gym, getting sessions in. There's quite a few people there. I just like to get when I'm training. I'm I'm training. I'm not there and for you're a zone. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're fine with self-motivating then when you when you got your goal in, in mind. You don't need someone there sort of pushing pushing you. Yeah, it, the gym, <laughs> in the gym, no. Um, Swim, bike, run. Because of the the length of the sessions that yeah. you're doing, sometimes it is a little bit hard to get motivated. Not to get lost in your own head and start thinking about yeah <laughs> all random things. And <laughs> yeah, and and like I do most of my training um, solo, so it 
it is hard sometimes to get motivated, absolutely. Yeah. Use a, uh, like an app for your running and, and your riding? Yeah, I've got a watch that um, you know captures speed and heart rate and, and oh. different bits and pieces. Yeah. And then on the bike, I have a computer that's that that oh, Running, does it have real-time feedback? Yep. You know how you, yeah, yeah. So you know what, what you need to be doing we, to, to hit your, your times and things like that yep. as, as you're running. What about swimming? Swimming's all via feel. Swimming's a funny one because you're uh, up here, especially with the temperature of the water, you have to do everything off perceived exertion. So it's a what do you feel like you should be able to hold during a, a race? Yeah, okay. Um, when I and by perceived exertion, it's when I swim here, when I go to another pool down south, I swim significantly faster because of the, the water temperature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if I'm swimming off times, the times that I'm doing up here, if I was to try and wrap it down there, I wouldn't be swimming anywhere near as fast as I should be going for the speed that I can go uh, yeah. based on the water temperature. Yep, you're yeah. putting in the, amount of, the same amount of effort, it's just not getting the same speed and, and, and times out of it. Yeah. So, and I guess that still relays to, you're putting in the same amount of effort, it's still going to relay to the result you want when you're in the different climates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. That makes and running and cycling's the same, but if you, because you've got a heart rate monitor on there, it, it gives you real time feedback as yep. to actually how much you're putting out or swimming. You're actually doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, aside from swimming, cycling, running, and you're obviously doing some weights at the moment. Do you do any other sort of training for this, or you, you really just do the events that you're going to be competing in as you as you're training? Yeah, pretty much just swim, bike, run, and and um, and gym sessions. I'd surf when I'm when I can and um, hit a golf ball every now and again but other than that it's just yeah swim bike run and gym. a lot of leg training when you're doing weights or you do full body stuff most of it it's it's lower lower limbs and um, and back yeah 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 and a lot of single leg stuff obviously because you're, you're, you're running yeah 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 symmetries yeah yeah, okay, and you've got a, an app that helps you plan that sort of stuff out as well, uh, your, your weights training? Yeah, so the guys from so um, Staff Physio, yeah, yeah they, um, they send a, a spreadsheet monthly of what weights I should be doing. Um, yeah. yeah. And they monitor, so they monitor your progress, they're monitoring um, recovery as well, and if so how are you, how are you doing that? <laughs> no, recovery is a... The, the tough one to um, get right with the weights program and... Um, strength training for a lot of triathlon coaches is a bit of a, um, a, a tough subject to broach. They're mostly interested in, and the thought pattern is that you only need to do swim, bike and run training. Strength training takes too much out of you and, and to a certain degree it does. So you need to time that strength training around your other sessions to get the, the adaptations that you need from the strength training. Yeah but not impact um, the, the swim, bike and run. And that's a really, that's a fine art that I, I haven't actually locked in probably. You've got to tweak it and, and see what works best for you as you go. Yeah. Kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I'm actually quite lucky that my coach, Grant, is, is pretty flexible with the program. I gave him a, a structure that I thought would work quite well with the strength program so that we weren't blunting any bike and run adaptations, but we were getting what we needed from the, the strength side of things as yeah. well. And it's, it's worked well that he trusted me that I knew what I think would work for me and then uh, and vice versa like I, I trusted yeah I trusted him that he would put the sessions in um, to get the most out of the kind of the strength training as well without putting me in a hole and with the uh, swimming aspect of these um, of these competitions is it ocean based swimming or do you swim in pools 
as well, or it cha- changes in different locations? Yeah, it changes. So you could possibly sometimes be performing at altitude in competitions, or are they generally on the coast? Generally on the coast. I think there's a couple of races in the US and, and in Europe that are held at altitude, but for the most part... Have you competed in, in those? No. no I've just not always yet. wondered how big the difference is. In, I hear people talking about it all the time, like competing at altitude and how much difference that can make to your cardiovascular system and, and how much sort of blood you can get around, but yeah. you, you haven't experienced it yourself. I actually slept in a, an altitude tent leading into the World Championships in 2016. To, oh, a hyperbaric to, chamber? Uh, not hyperbaric chamber. It was like an altitude tent. So at night, um, I would... There was an inflatable tent that would go around my bed and it would pump in deoxygenated air to mimic being at, um, I think it was 10,000 feet or 12,000 feet. So, so you're supposed to be recovering at, at altitude when, when you sleep, there's the idea of that. Yeah, yeah, so you um, sleep high and then and then train at, at sea level. Sea level, yeah. yeah. So you can still get your maximum, maximum exertion out, but then when you're recovering, you get that limited oxygen. And what did you think about it? <laughs> I was knackered. <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Just didn't recover very well? <laughs> no, like, putting, trying to do that and then train it in Headland was just... I, I, was, um, I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, where we are in, in Headland, because of the heat, it, heat um, they've found mimics a lot of the um, adaptations that you get from being at altitude. Yeah, okay. It has the same, same physiological effect as what you get from being at that 12,000 feet. So I was... It's kind of double dosing and, yeah. and um, especially yeah. with humidity, I suppose it feels like you don't get as much oxygen out of the air when it's yeah. thick and humid like that, doesn't yeah. it? I know it's really hard to push yourself when it's when things are, are quite warm like that. Yeah, uh, there's there's a debate around that as well. With um, some people will train at altitude and then drive back down and sleep at sea level at night. Yeah, and, and so so, but then there's the whole discussion of, of uh, are you actually pushing yourself hard enough while you're training at altitude because you can't get the same amount of oxygen and then obviously the other way around train at sea level sleep at, at, at altitude or in a tent yeah so i guess there's that six six in one hand half dozen the other kind of discussion and um doesn't seem to be a d- definitive answer yet yeah it's i think it's a lot of what works for you some people don't deal with altitude very well some people don't deal with heat very well it's if you, I suppose if you give yourself time to adapt to it, you'll be, um, you'll be all right. And an example is a, a mate of mine who I travelled with a lot when I was living overseas in the US, and we would get to Tahoe each year, and he would have altitude sickness for, for you know, four weeks. But once he settled in, he was, he was right. And that was just, you know, snowboarding and, and working. At, at around Lake Tahoe, were you? Yeah, so it was, we were living at 6,000 feet. But at work, we'd be at 10,000 feet. Yeah. You know? uh, but we had come from either... Um, we'd come from sea level most of the time. So Beautiful place, Lake, yeah. Lake Tahoe. Eh? I've, yeah. I've been personally. I had a mate of mine that lived over there uh, for several years, and he, he did about a year or 18 months um, at Lake Tahoe. And the pictures he used to send over were just beautiful. So he was there through a couple of different seasons, obviously. And yeah. Just beautiful spot. Man, yeah, you know? it is. Yeah. Picturesque. Every every photo he, he sent looked like a bloody postcard. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, what about diet? Pretty strict. Well, I guess you're using a lot of you're using a lot of uh, um, energy when you're training and, and competing anyway. So you're probably looking at putting more ca- uh, calories. You know. Yeah. yeah it, um, am I strict? Uh, the PJ answer is yep. 
I eat only health foods and <laughs> nah, <it's, laughs> the girlfriend's uh, shaking the head in the background here. So. <laughs> nah, I got, it's be, just it's broccoli be, and chicken, eh? <laughs> yeah, just chicken and chicken and broccoli. I'm on a complete low carb keto diet. Yeah, um, yeah. All I eat. That's avoc- why we went cider, so yeah. we didn't have the wheat in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all I eat avocados and nuts and um, yeah. No, I, it depends how my, how my weight's going at the time, what type of training I'm doing. Um, the yeah, it, it it really depends. Yeah, for the most part, my diet is great, but I. I'll eat a pizza, um, you know, I'll have a couple of I'll have beers more often than I should. You, you abide by the 80-20 rule, yeah. do you? Yeah. That's what I do. 80-20, yeah. <laughs> mate, you've got to live a little, hey. Yeah. But I suppose, like, you know, you, you do use a lot of energy in what you're doing. You need to yeah. reload with carbs and things like that anyway. It's not like... And is it an open weight when you're with male and females? Different yeah, whatever, yeah. It's open weight, so it's up yeah. to you what you want to carry around the, the yeah. joint, really. Yeah, it's your power-to-weight ratio and... Yeah. Um, and where you get the most strength at in the 60s I, I can't push my pedals at all I, I've got no strength at all but I run really well yeah okay um, if I'm a little bit heavier obviously I've got a little bit more muscle behind me to, to, to push the pedals but you slow down a little bit it's about weighing up what you what race you're going into as well like you, if it's um, hotter being a little bit lighter can sometimes help um, if you yeah there's there's just a bunch of different variables up I try and I'm very conscious of what I'm eating um, when I'm training and especially after training. But for the most part, it's it's whatever makes me happy at the time and, and tastes you, good. You say you fluctuate around ten kilos. I have, yeah. You have, yeah. so you know it's a big difference in in different performances at that. Because I, mate, I haven't changed ten kilos in weight since I was probably 15 until now like the, yeah. the biggest fluctuation I've ever had in weight is about 5 kilos and yeah. it's been quite gradual so I, I always hear about people putting on X amount of weight you know muscle or whatever it is and then losing it again and you notice a difference when you're carrying that much around yeah yeah absolutely it's um, I was kind of borderline sick all the time when I was that skinny and uh, I felt like I was pretty close to injury and it did actually turn into me getting injured yeah, okay. at the end of last season like the body just didn't have enough Fatigued. meat on it yeah, yeah to, to be able to cop the load that I was, I was putting through it I'm training and racing as a, as an, a professional athlete and you, you need to have a, a, enough muscle on you to be able to cop yeah. what you're trying to do yeah yeah fair enough help you ju- protect your joints and things like that yeah. as well yeah and, absolutely yeah. yeah okay so diet is you just want to eat good most of the time yeah. you know you know the, the right type of foods to eat what you need for fuel and things like that and then yeah. if it's Friday night you need to have a pizza and a beer you need to have a pizza and a beer yeah absolutely if you've got a big training session good. so if, like if I have a you know I did three hours um, on the bike this morning that was quite hard and I have a, um, a weight session this afternoon um, you got I'll, another Another yeah. session this afternoon, or yeah. you had one? Oh. Yeah, a, a gym session this afternoon. No, no rest for the wicked. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll eat a lot more on a, on a day like today, because yeah. it'll end up being about five hours of training. You know, yeah. That's a, yeah, it's a lot of training. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you sleep well? Does yeah. he snore? <laughs> no snoring. No. No. <laughs> Try and sleep like, <laughs> sleep like a rock. <laughs> yeah, I bet, mate. Yeah. Oh, I used to before I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> you poor bugger. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they're getting a lot better, mate. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. So, 
I was going to ask you about what sort of money's on the table at the Ironman events, but we've covered that yeah. already. And and any other endeavours on the horizon outside of this? This is your passion right now. You're fully into it. You're not looking at anything else, or there's other things you'd like to do down the track. Or? I love racing, and I truly believe that I can compete at the highest level. There's, um, I proved last year that um, I have the ability to compete at that level. Probably not to push the front of the race obviously balancing uh, the amount of time that I'm spending at work on top of the time required to train isn't giving me enough time to not only probably train a little bit more but I need to be able to recover better yeah, to, sure. to absorb the load that you're, you're putting through and there's the guys at the front of the race aren't training a lot more than I am they're, but they're recovering better and it's their full time yeah. job that's yeah. what they do day in day out uh, and and it shows the you know, so, so you feel you've got what it takes to compete at that upper echelon, but with the workload, it's going to be hard to really get to the top, the, to, to the top of that pack, the, the, where the elite guys are. Yeah, I might be using that as a bit of an excuse at the moment, but um, I, I suppose the, the proofs in the pudding. None of the guys at the, the front of the field are, are working. They're, yeah. they're, they're full-time athletes, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense yeah. as well. Uh, but um, yeah, in terms of anything else on the table, it's it's really just focusing triathlon, trying to get the best out of what I've been given and, and what I have for now. Um, taking the time off to prepare to um, to go on racing year, I will be going all in for um, half a year this year. So I'll be getting the training load in. I'll be getting the recovery. I'm going over to um, Europe to race against the best in the world in there. Uh, you know, in their own backyard, and I'll yep. be able to see whether I, I actually do have the ability. Really see how it stacks up. That's yeah. exciting, eh? Bloody yeah. oath. Yeah. And, I did. Yeah. Go. Yeah. I, you know, I did well last year, balancing work and um, and racing. It can only get better. Um, yeah. By, by so you've just got a good benchmark to, to push past this yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And what are those guys who you say who are? It is their full time job. What? How are they supplementing their pay? Just more sponsorship. Um, yeah, sponsors like they have. Uh, it's probably a little bit of everything. There's some guys that uh, have uh, their cash sponsored athletes, or they're salaried from their sponsors. So they might travel around and do events and promotions and, and bits and pieces for their sure. sponsors. Yeah. Some guys are coaching. Um, yeah, there's yeah there's other little niches in the industry that where, where they're making money things yeah. like that. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, what do you do with your spare time? You said you do surfing when you can, obviously not in Headland. Yeah, no, um, spare time at the moment is just sleeping. And, yeah, right. Yeah, pretty much just just getting horizontal and watching um, watching Netflix series. It's, uh, oh, what the, are you on? What are you watching? Uh, at the moment, to um, Shauna's disdains of, of watching Fargo. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, like, yeah. The old original, have they remade it? The, so there's the movie that came out quite a while ago and they've I've there was this, this three series, series yeah there's three seasons um, I think it was released in 2014 so I've just got through the, the first season um, and I'm on to the second season I like the Coen brothers how they they're really good yeah good, yeah. good producers they can write a really good story the, um, the cinematography in, in all of them is, it's quite uh, quite cool to, to watch and uh, what did we watch before that Filthy John. I just started that last yeah. week. Is it good? Should I persist? I'm yeah. not sold. No. Two episodes it's, in. But. It's not. It's not. Eric Banner's like 
pretty feral in it. Creepy. Yeah, he's pretty creepy. Yeah, like I like him as an actor, and he, yeah, he played that character really well. He he, he gets quite dark. Yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> well, he can get dark. We've seen him do it before. Yeah, yeah. he had his dark moments in Chopper. Yeah, and so yeah, you know, he can play the play the character pretty well. He seems to have got his um, American accent under control a little bit better as well. He's I struggled watching with, with the American accent in some of his other uh, uh, you know films over the years. It's just kind of had that. A little bit of a forced edge to it. Yeah, seems to have got got that out of the way now. So. Yeah, absolutely. So that's good. What else? Anything yours? In... At the moment, no. It's um, a lot, a lot to the, the, TV as... shows and movies <laughs> and shit. Uh, just uh, listening to music and and um, and a lot of time being like laying down and, and sleeping in between training sessions and work. What music are you into, mate? <laughs> what was the listen to a little bit of everything and it kind of depends on the training session that I'm doing and, yeah. then, and what's happening afterwards um, if I'm if I'm on the treadmill running fast I listen to punk I listen yep. to punk anytime you like punk eh? Yeah, I like a little bit of punk, yeah, punk. <laughs> I, I grew up on punk yeah. when I was yeah, in, in my teenage years I was big on, big on the punk yeah um, if I'm on the bike doing kind of um, strength work I listen to like rap and hip hop yeah. mostly Mostly 90s rap um, for that type of work. Mm, 90s and the early noughties rap yeah. was the best for, yeah. my, for my money. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, do you like Aussie hip-hop? Yeah. And the Hoods just dropped a new album yep. last week. You've been listening to it? On, on I've listened to a couple of singles. I haven't listened to, uh, to anything else from it. Though. Yeah, I'm, I'm a massive Hoods fan and I haven't had radio at work this week. Um, been in the machine and things like that. So I didn't hear it. I think it might have been the feature album on Triple J. Yeah. I know they've been playing some of the tracks. I didn't hear it. Yeah. And then a mate of mine said, oh, have you heard the new Hoods album? Yeah. No, I knew it was coming out. So I started listening to it yesterday at the gym and a little bit this morning. Yep. Then um, I think it's going to take me a little while. It hasn't hit me yep. with a shovel on the side of the head or anything like that. It's kind of a little bit of a slow burn. Not, not... It's not blowing my hair back at the moment. There's a few different styles they're trying yeah. um, all on the same album, which is cool. You've got to try things different. Yeah. But, I don't know, they're mixing it up a little bit too much for my taste, but I'll keep li- I'll keep listening to it and see if it might grow on you yeah. a little bit. So. Yeah. The, the, hoods are, the Hoods are a funny one. Um, they, I suppose they released their um, first couple of albums when I was still in high school or, or just out of... I was probably just out of high school, and it was... Like that was the first real, um, you know, Aussie hip hop that, that so really, really took, changed the really game for Aussie hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. There was um, twelve hundred techniques and, and yep, that sort of thing. They were good twelve hundred techniques be- before that, but um, Hilltop Hoods was the first one that really got a lot of market play and, and that sort of thing. And they have changed their sound a little bit over time. It was funny to hear them go from being like not into boozing and, and not into drugs and stuff to their biggest song from last year was talking about getting high and. Yeah, it's, I've, I've been listening to that one. I, I think that might be um, uh, in the shoes of somebody else. Yeah, I, I was listening to the lyrics actually just on the way on the way here because I heard that talking about um, had some booze, dropped some Molly, can't help That's myself. One, yeah. yeah, I think he's talking some someone else. He's uh, like, he's he's playing a character for in that song, yeah. and he's talking about this is that some guy who can't you know he's out wilding out sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, no, they're not... They, I think they were always big drinkers. Um, Suffer crashed his car drunk or, and, and has been sober since then. Yep. 
And but I don't think they they were ever into the weed. No, they were never. They were sort of always anti-pot when they. No, were that was their. That like was their that. separation from Bliss and Esso, who were completely about Big it. Big potheads, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Live for it. Yeah, I, I remember seeing them. In, um, I saw them in DC and. And you couldn't really breathe in the in the um, in the venue that we were in for the amount little, of little small <laughs> yeah, was venue sh- was it? Mate, it was a shoebox. I, th- I walked out of there sideways. And oh, <laughs> that's the best place to see bands like that. <laughs> yeah, hip hop bands can struggle on the bigger stages, man. Like I know they're definitely hip, hip, the hilltop hoods have definitely nailed it. Even for American artists and things, I think their live show is just the best, mate. They have a full big yeah. band. I know they've done some things with the Sydney. Uh, the Sydney Orchestra as well but yeah. they just have a massive band and they incorporate that sound on their albums as well and it's just a full on uh, a proper sh- music like show when you watch them live you know yeah. and they've got the big voices they do a lot of harmonising and, and they sort of sing a little bit while they rap as well so they really fill the stage but for guys like Bliss and Esso even I've seen them we saw them last year and I've seen them on bigger stages before sometimes it's hard in an outside venue for them to carry with hip hop, yep. you know, so small little clubs like that, even though you can't breathe and yeah. get, to get trod on and squished, <laughs> squished up, that's probably the best place to see those kind of bands. Yeah, I absolutely, yeah. Nitty gritty, dirty little clubs. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember where it, it was in Washington DC. I can't remember the name of the venue, but um, they were there. Yeah, they did a. The gig was out of control. It was really good. <laughs> minutes there just checking the time mate make sure we don't go over the hour without stopping it Um, yeah that's the one thing I I do miss about Headland is the the lack of obviously live music you know and you don't have that kind of um, options to just go out on the weekend and catch live gigs but going down to Perth with Chili Peppers next week I did hear that in your last podcast yeah Yeah, absolutely pretty stoked about that so that should be a good one they're a a band that just keeps on keeps on giving and again from the um, 90s and noughties well even the late 80s I think they started in 77 or 78 so that obviously just as a you know pub band or whatever cruising around they made it bigger in the mid sort of 80s but that's a long time to be making music for man yeah Yeah. just um, you know they've been a a favourite of mine on on repeat for a long long time so I'm pretty excited about that one yeah he's come a long way from Shooting up under a yeah. you know, under a bridge yeah. <laughs> with yeah. Flea to, to you know he's pretty lucky to be alive. If I read his book years ago, Scar Tissue yeah. and some of the stuff that goes on, mate, it was just it, it is amazing that he's still alive. Yeah, you know? there's a bunch of times where he could have dropped off. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you've seen over the last couple of years, people not um, necessarily Chris Cornell. Chris, yeah, I was going to say Chris Cornell, Chester. Yeah, you read my mind actually. I was going to talk about them exactly. I was listening to Lincoln Park today when I was on the bike, and um, you can hear the pain in um, in Chester's voice when he was singing, like right at the end, and it was it was quite sad. And you'd think that people like Anthony Kiedis probably kind of could have gone down that avenue as well, but um, for whatever reason, it, it, it didn't happen. He and seems to always be like he was a mess. And like a drug addict and all that, but he was always a fun-loving, easy-going yeah. kind of guy. I think they yeah. were kind of tortured souls all along. I think there's probably some things. Oh, I know Chester Bennington spoke out about sexual abuse and things like that. Yeah. So there's obviously some shit from the from the, the de- deep, deep past with guys like that. But yeah. you could definitely tell with someone like Chris Cornell, he's always a tortured soul man. Absolutely. But, you know, it just makes me so sad. He was a father. Like, yeah. I think he had like four girls or something like that. Like yeah. a full-blown family and shit. You know, and to just yeah, do yourself in like that. It's just horrible, man. Yeah. But sometimes makes the best artist so yeah you know yeah absolutely so it's, what do you do you need <laughs> you need tortured souls it seems to be more, more, more interesting people but yeah it can be pretty rough to be them I guess sometimes yeah well, well we all, 
people also need to talk about stuff that they're going through as well I think is probably the, the biggest message out of that because yeah man yeah. As much as he spoke about it, he still had the, the battle and it ended up um, overcoming it. So maybe had he reached out a little bit more or... I, I, you don't know what to do in that scenario because you can't you can't walk in their shoes and, and live what they have lived. But it, to lose a, a life to um, a mental health issue is a, a real tragedy. In, the, in like your 50s, like the, yeah. I, I think uh, last year as well, um, Anthony Bourdain killed himself and he was probably pushing 70 he was in his 60s anyway yeah. like to get yeah. that far in life have all that success and then yeah. you know in your 50s or 60s decide no I don't want to do it anymore man yeah. there's been a lot of darkness going on hey yeah you can see um, in, I really liked Anthony Bourdain not only as an author but he, all of his TV shows were, were brilliant, brilliant. And you could you could see he had a really cynical outlook on life um, yeah. through no reservations and I think for someone like that, when you're exposed to um, such extremes of, of, of poverty and, and wealth, that would be something really hard to deal with. He, he's, he's there, um, he work for the CNN or, or something like that. So he's going to these countries and he's essentially living like a, a king, but at the same time they're asking him to report day in, day out on, on the, you know, the people that are um, struggling to survive and, and yeah. being put in war-torn scenarios where there's real atrocities going on through the Congo and things like that yeah on no reservations yeah yeah, some terrible stuff man and uh, yeah as well he he was a drug addict for for a large period of his life as well yeah heroin addict so yeah and I mean he seemed to have it it all together at the time that it happened too which is which is probably the the worst part yeah Um, yeah yeah it's bizarre isn't it man you know some people just think I've had had enough yeah it's time to go yeah I think that's what um, Hunter S. Thompson said as well yeah put a gun in his mouth and I think he just said I've I've, 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 I've had enough and that was before anyone even spoke about depression and things like that and he kind of just decided I've done everything I want to do yep just going time, time for me to check out which is just such a bizarre thought yeah but I guess what, what's the other option just get old and crusty and fall apart so yeah what is it um, Neil Young you're better to better to burn out than to fade away I'm changing the subject just very quickly I hope that's what happens with my old dog man <laughs> one of my dogs is getting real he's, getting, he's about 12 now he's a full just 100 mile an hour dog all the time yeah. I've been saying lately he's getting a few lumps on him and it's, it takes a little, a little while to get up and I've seen a few, like my last family dog went out real slowly, she went blind and then she'd walk around and shit herself and, you know, didn't know what was going on and she was a real smart dog. And then I was thinking, I hope, I hope my, my, this boy Casper, I hope he burns out real just quickly, mate. I hope yeah. just one day he just, he just carks it. I don't yeah. want to see him slowly over the next three years, just can't get up, can't chase the ball. Just get old and just burn out quickly, mate. That's the way to yeah. do it. Live at 100 miles an hour until it stops, yeah. I reckon. Well, on that, that's a good note to end it on. Yeah. Nice and happy. But I um, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks, Doug. And um, there's a little bit of background noise around here. There was some, I don't know, it was like a freezer or some shit that was kicking in for half, yeah. <laughs> half that interview, but it stopped now. But all good, mate. I'm sure it'll um, be all good once it's, uh, yeah. Once we, we get it published and put out, I'll have this put out sometime in the Sabo, and I appreciate your time. Fantastic, man, and, yeah, thank and, um, you for having me on. Yeah, no worries, man. Keep doing what you're doing, and good luck uh, over in Europe later on this year. Thank I'm you. I'm sure you're going to smash it. Yeah. All right, take it appreciate easy, mate. It. Cheers. Cheers. Dave.